a god. A wall is but a line on the page. We are all naked, seen beyond seeing. Welcome you to Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ethan Maestri. And... <coughs> Whoa, easy. Ryan, you okay there? Yeah, I'm sorry. I've, <clears throat> I've got a little bit of chest congestion that's been bothering me. Really? I think I might be able to ha- help you with that. Really? Yeah, uh, this this girl showed me a trick uh, using something called Tesseract technology. Here, let's, let's try this. I'll try anything. Ow! And that didn't work. Uh, not sure what happened there. Well, my congestion's still there, and I just got punched in the chest, it feels like. Well, anyway, better right. luck next time. Yeah. And I'm Ryan Mazzocco. Each week, we take an episode of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, and we take a look at it to see what we like, what we didn't like about it, and just a general discussion of what we learned about the series. This week, it's Into the Labyrinth, Ryan. You always introduce the show better than I do. Well, it's because I've had two weeks to think about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, uh, Ryan, you have been a little bit under the weather the last week or two, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's been it's been pretty rough. So we're sorry about that for the listeners that may have uh, been looking for shows in recent weeks. But hey, we, at least we had the interview with Brent State there. Yeah, I think that was probably better than anything that in, that it, we could have said. <laughs> we so. could have done ourselves, yeah, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, I think so. Mm-hmm. No, that was that was great to have Brent State, and we again appreciated his time in uh, talking with us. So uh, let's go ahead and get into into the labyrinth, right? Let's go ahead and get into the labyrinth. Okay, let's just do it that way. Okay, right. It's time for uh, some fun facts and some trivia. There you go. There you go. No, this is uh, episode thirty-one into the labyrinth, written by Zach Stentz and Ashley Edward Miller. Uh, we have several uh, guest stars in this one. One that everyone probably recognizes from television, uh, James Marsters. And he plays Charlemagne Boulevard. Did you recognize him? I did recognize him. Okay, from what? Well, I was thinking maybe a previous episode of Andromeda, but no, we haven't seen him yet. No, we haven't. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've heard the name, Charlemagne okay. right. Boulevard. But uh, James Marsters uh, was really the only thing I need to talk about is the fact that he was Spike in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I, I will speak up for myself. I'm not a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. I did not watch the show. I have seen episodes. I was in love with Sarah Michelle Gellar. Uh, Yeah, everybody was in the 90s and 2000s. What's that supposed to mean? (laughs) But yeah, he he was the anti-hero, the villain. I don't know really what you could classify his character. He he made several changes throughout that series, thanks to Joss Whedon. But anyway, yeah, he played Spike in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Now, he's done a lot more in television, and I believe even a few film credits, but mostly he's known for the type of role that he played in Buffy, and, you know, kind of that that same type of role that he plays here in, in Andromeda as well. So, good to see James Marsters, kind of a, a cult favorite among sci-fi television, sci-fi and fantasy television. So we got to see him here in our episode, Into the Labyrinth. We also have Judd Tyler, and she plays Satrina Leander. 
Now, this is a very early appearance in her career. I think she only had maybe one or two listings in IMDb predating this episode that she appears in on Andromeda. So, again, very early in her career. She goes on to do many guest roles in television, uh, in such as Smallville and CSI Miami, and other roles in uh, major films, such as Charlie Wilson's War, uh, opposite uh, Tom Hanks. Right. And so, it, so it was good to see see her in this early role in her career. Then we have the return of Alex Daikun, and he was Hone, the Perseid, that uh, we've seen in the first season in, I believe, a couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. And now we've seen him return in this particular episode as well. So it was good to see a returning cast member also. Now, the title makes reference to Greek mythology. And the mythology is where Daedalus builds a labyrinth for King Minos. And it's a, 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 a labyrinth that's so effective, a maze that's so effective, that even Daedalus himself is nearly unable to escape from it, he, being the designer. Uh, it's used as a trap for the Minotaur, in which Theseus later goes in and, and slays the, uh, the Minotaur. Uh, so the idea of this unescapable labyrinth is an idea that's found woven throughout this particular episode, uh, particularly when you think about the two threats that Dylan is facing. So the the obvious nod to Greek mythology, but I, even though it's obvious in, in its reference, I think it was really neat how it was subtly woven in through the 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 like like I said before the two enemies that Dylan is is facing here, even though they might be allies as well but we can get further into that discussion as we get further into this discussion okay and i'm just talking in circles now (laughs) ryan why don't you take this away from me okay (laughs) and and uh, give us a summary of into the labyrinth andromeda is docked at a drift holding some special event for dignitaries yada 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 it's not important here's what is harper meets a girl at the party her name is satrita leander an archivist for the FTA Information Directory, and she would like an interview with one of Dylan's crew. Harper is all over it. Oh, and I should mention she is very attractive, and Harper doesn't know how to be cool. Rami distracts him, and when he turns back, Satrina is gone. Doesn't matter, as just then, Nietzscheans show up and crash the party. It's the Sabra Jaguar Pride, which is headed up by none other than Charlemagne Bolivar. Name ring a bell? It should. But he brings good news. He's ready to sign the Commonwealth Charter. Back in Harper's quarters, he's taken a break from the party to check his Magog larva on his personal sonogram machine, which for some reason also requires taking off his pants. There's a knock at the door. It's Satrina. She wants her interview now. Her first question is a hot make-out session. Harper answers wrong with, I have Magog larvae in my belly. But she accepted that answer, and even more... She demonstrates that she can remove them as she reaches through his body as if it were a hologram and pulls one out and squishes it. All he has to do is hand over the all-systems library collection from Harper 2.0 and they'll all be gone. Or he can refuse and die a horrible death. The problem is Harper hid it from himself and doesn't know where it is. As he searches the Maru, Trance catches him, questions him, recaps Harper 2.0, and warns him not to look for it. In a corridor, Charlemagne and Dylan discuss the advantages of the Sabra Jaguar Pride joining the Commonwealth since they have a common enemy, the Drago Katzoff. Oh, and big news! Elsbeth is pregnant! But Dylan doesn't need to write out any child support checks. Charlemagne tells him not to worry. He checked, and it's his. Rami says, What? 
Harper has been looking everywhere for the archive. He goes into the VR matrix looking for it and finds a digital representation of himself, who tells him to buzz off and send him out. Back on a swarm ship, Satrina instructs a group of goons and shows them their targets, Dylan, Charlemagne, and Hone. Harper visits his VR counterpart again with not much different result, except for one subtle difference which Harper hasn't picked up on yet. Hone approaches Harper and reveals that he is a secret librarian. He is a member of the secret All Systems University Special Collections Division, working throughout the known worlds to preserve knowledge, all in preparation for the Commonwealth's restoration, and he wants the archive to keep it safe. Satrina makes another visit to Harper, and then vanishes into thin air. After a quick rhetorical conversation with Rami, Harper deduces that she must be using some kind of Tesseract technology. He runs into Trance, who again tells him to back off looking for the archive. As she walks away, he catches sight of her sun tattoo, which jogs his memory of the sun on his shirt in the VR. That's it! He hid it in a sun! Harper sets out in the Maru to retrieve the archive, but unknown to him, Trance is tagging along. She again discourages him, but he says he's not going to give it to Satrina. He's going to give her a copy with a virus written into it, and after she has removed the larva, the virus will erase the entire archive. Back in Harper's shop, Satrina has removed another handful of larvae. She demands the archive before removing the rest. Harper gives her the disc, and she leaves without removing the rest. Harper's virus works. Satrina returns to confront Harper. She says it was really all a test, and her boss, the Abyss, is impressed with Harper and wants to employ him. All this can be his. As she tries to phase out, she kind of gets stuck in sort of a Max Hedrum series. Harper has used information he found in the archive and placed interference patterns in the gravity generators under her feet. He then removes the glowing device from her data port, and she falls to the ground. We now see Harper insert the device into his own data port. He tries reaching his hand into his abdomen to extract the Magog larva, but he cannot. But he can pass his hand right through the catwalk railing. Satrina breaks her restraints and calls to the other goons to start their attack. All over the Andromeda, bad guys are phasing in and out, attacking and killing. Meanwhile, Satrina meets up with Harper again. She knows what he tried to do and why it didn't work. She reminds him that if he sides with the Abyss, he will not only have the larva removed, but also will have anything and everything he wants. With the device still in his data port, he begins to hear the Abyss whisper to him. Harper tesseracts out and starts wandering through the Andromeda. Everyone else continues fighting. Harper figures out that the ship which powers the Tesseract devices is attached to the Andromeda. He Tesseracts there and destroys the technology and the ship, thus deactivating all the Tesseract devices, rendering the bad guys defenseless. But somehow, Satrina vanishes away, as do the goon corpses. Harper gives the remaining disc to Trance, and tells her to do whatever she wants with it. Charlemagne and the Sabra Jaguar Pride signed the charter. The End Ryan, you really do your best work when you're under pressure, don't you? Oh, yeah, I think I do, yeah. <laughs> That's why I like to wait till the very, very last minute. Before any assignment is, before you hand in any assignment. Mm-hmm. That's right. Wait till you're under the gun. Right. It's got to be done. Good job, man. Thank you. Good job. You made me laugh. It was good. <laughs> Better than when you have time to think about it. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what makes you think I ever think about it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Okay. We got a lot to talk about in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like this is an episode that should have come out, should have came after 
a couple of episodes that we got in the first season. And maybe I would have liked to have seen it sooner because I've almost forgot about those <laughs> those those first season one episodes where we had these questions come up. But now here we here it is, and, we, and we're getting some answers out of it. Uh, the first thing I, I wanted to bring up an observation is: Do you think that's how it's really going to be three thousand years from now? Are are people with integrated data ports going to compare hardware specs the way people with smartphones compare them now? Well, I mean, if that's what we have, then yes. Okay, we we will always compare whatever we're using. Yeah, what kind of wattage is in that thing in your neck? This is three thousand. Three thousand. Oh, I got five. Oh well, I'm getting ready to upgrade to the seven fifty. I could do seven terabytes a second. <laughs> How about you? What's your down? What's your upload? Well, I'm just waiting for the next one. Yeah. <laughs> and is is Apple still go going at that point? Is Apple rolling out a new data port for your neck every year? Oh, see, we're going to get political now. So just... <laughs> okay, avoid that one. Okay, I'm sorry. You're an Android user. You don't care. <laughs> That's right. That's why I'm saying we're going to get political now. So. Oh, okay. It's like the three things you don't discuss at dinner, religion, politics, and Apple Android. <laughs> um, I get real quick, right off the bat, this could be a discussion thing, but I want to get it out, out of the way right now because this is sort of um, a correction or maybe a clarification, really. Uh, new information has been brought to light. Um, in the past, we have made certain assumptions and we now have information which uh, we which which negates we didn't have which before. yes so yeah. so now now we know the answers the the questions um, earlier in the season being after Harper's overdose mm-hmm. uh, then suddenly we didn't see the medicine around his neck anymore right and we speculated he's learned his lesson right it's now in a locker in in his quarters somewhere or maybe Trance is holding it for him. No, he's just hiding it under his shirt. We assumed too much. We did. It was it was there the whole time. Yeah. And I kind of wonder if we go back and look at some of those, if uh, if we'll actually see the uh, the little uh, strand of the necklace mm. that that's that's holding it around his neck. Um, yeah, because you mentioned Magog larva, and he just takes a hit. Takes a hit right there. So. It's like Pavlov, Pavlov's dog. <laughs> you say Magog, Magog larva. Yeah. Why is that so hard to say? It is hard we're, to we're say. We're both having trouble yeah. with that tonight. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, you, you say that word and instantly. Well, here, time for... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I thought it was interesting as they become involved, he and Satrina. Uh, you know, obviously you, you, made, you alluded to it there in your summary that he... Harper has to, for some reason, has to inform her, I am infested with Magog larva. <laughs> you know, as, before we get too involved in this, I should let you know. Okay. So basically, can you contract a Magog infestation through extracurricular activity I, like I that? Just, I, don't, I can't imagine. It's, I mean, is, is it transferred in the saliva? You know, or <laughs> I don't want to go too deep into this rabbit yeah. hole, but I just it just struck me as okay, <laughs> you know, it, this it seems like it's something that's just affecting you, mm-hmm. and nothing's going to happen in the next thirty minutes yeah. that's going to cause any problems. I wouldn't think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, why not just keep that sort of thing to yourself? Well, we got to remember this is Harper. This is Harper. Yeah, and when it comes to uh, his love life, 
he is the biggest saboteur of well, his love life. Yes, so. and I think you said it best. Harper gives the wrong answer. <laughs> that was. I think that's how you put it in your summary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is per- that is brilliant because it is exactly. He could have kept it to himself. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to say a word. Of course, she knows. Yeah, she knows his whole backstory. But yeah, he could have just kept it to himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> put that on her for her to demonstrate that she knows more than she's letting well, on. Well, I'm, I'm big fans of of. Zach Stentz and Ashley Edward Miller, so I don't want to say anything bad against them. But maybe it's just lazy writing. Is that is that bad to say? Because, ah. and or maybe it's just a time they've thing. Maybe a they lot didn't in have the last enough, fifteen years. I, definitely, they've uh, they've come a long way. But but you know maybe she could have because you're right. She already knows this before she ever comes on board. She knows that yes. these. That's why she's there. That's why she's talking to him. Okay, to begin with yeah. So why not why not strike up a dialogue so that this comes out so that she kind of tricks him almost into telling her about this rather than just you know hey kissy kissy oh, I gotta tell you something <laughs> yeah no uh, it, we only had enough we only had forty two minutes for this episode okay yeah so so maybe it's a good thing we didn't get an opportunity to see what really happens as a relationship develops with Harper mm-hmm. Let's just accept the the fact that he's bad at it, mm-hmm. and then let's just roll on. Okay. Um, not to rewrite this episode, but right there, you've already got it set up. He's he's there in his quarters, or in the machine shop. I can remember what she is. I thought it was brilliant that his pants were already off. That was... <laughs> Why? <laughs> yeah, stay with me now. Um, but he's but he's got he's already looking at the the larva on on the sonogram machine there, and why he's doing that I'm not really sure. Um, uh, maybe he's checking their progress to see if they're getting bigger. Maybe he needs to to know that and to see if they're if they're still staying dormant. Up, up the dosage. Maybe just have her walk in catching him doing that. Okay. Yeah. What What's going on here? Well, you know, I really liked you, and I thought this was going to go somewhere, but I'm caught. <laughs> I got these in my gut, so yeah, you probably don't like me anymore. But you know, no, 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 it's cool. And then, and then start to make out. See, build trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then reach into his stomach and pull one out. Right. Okay. You should write a show. Uh, I'm afraid if I write that though, it might sound an awful lot like this one. Right. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of Magog larvae, you know, it's weird, because all we've seen is we've seen them on the sonogram, um, but when they're in somebody's hand, they don't move around a lot, but they sure make a lot of noise. They do make a lot of noise, yes. I don't know, couldn't they have them, like, wiggle around a little? I realize budget is an issue. Yeah. Um... Tie a tie a ten pound test line to him and just kind of tug Pull on it a little bit. Little bit. Yeah. yeah, make him stick it, let's wiggle it around a little yeah. bit. I'm wondering how hard is it to CG something that small in somebody's hand? That can't be as bad as doing full. You know mm-hmm. what were those things? The slug worm thingies that dissolved metal. Oh, job of the hut. The job of the huts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the squirms. Oh, from, okay. a, from a few episodes back. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like it would be a lot easier to do something real simple like that in your hand. But mm-hmm. that's probably why I'm not in the business. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dylan looks shocked when he learns of uh, Elspeth's pregnancy. <laughs> now, I personally, I 
I had to watch this, and in the f- the first time I watched through it, I had forgotten about the whole Elsbet. Yeah, yeah. The, the the reference that they were making there just totally blew past me. Uh. I didn't make the connection. Uh-huh. And then it was the second time I watched, and and Dylan has that look on his face. Right. No, 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 no. Yeah, that one right there. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and and Charlemagne's reaction, I checked, it's mine. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was just, I thought that was pretty brilliant. Mm-hmm. I, I liked it. And, and the second time I watched it, it was like, oh, you know, I had my blonde moment. And then I laughed, you know, so yeah, it was pretty great. Right. I like that. You know, it also tells us a lot about the relationship between Charlemagne and Elsbeth. Um, evidently, they're very open and honest. Yeah, she had to have told him, Charlemagne, mm-hmm. that uh, she had... Well, you know, obviously Dylan has come up in conversation because he's responsible for getting them together. Right. And, and then he's coming to see him to sign a treaty and everything. So, yeah, she would have had to have said, oh, by the way, you know, mm-hmm. we knocked boots. Mm-hmm. And evidently Charlemagne is cool with it. Yeah. We can at, get more at this his, point. At this point, yeah. At this point. We can get more into his character as we get a little bit further into it. Because, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not really much of a gun person. Uh, I'm not anti-gun by any means, So, and, and I don't want to get political, again, as I mentioned before. So I'm not anti-gun, but I'm not really, I'm personally not a gun person. Um, I think maybe I might be more of a gun person if guns were a little more user-friendly, like, you know, they told you things, like, I'm loaded or I'm not. <laughs> Yeah. Like Charlemagne's gun. His gun tells him your weapon is empty. It, it I totally missed this. Mhm. Okay. Yeah, when he ha- when he's having the uh the standoff there in the corridor with the goon that just keeps tesseracting around all of his bullets. Yeah. And he's just let's see which one of us runs out of energy first. And his gun finally does. And instead of, you know, the usual empty gun click, he pulls the trigger and the gun goes your gun is out of energy. <laughs> <laughs> I totally missed that, but you know what? That's a fantastic feature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your energy weapon, your your future laser device, mm-hmm. or Goss weapon, whatever mm-hmm. it happens to be, it should tell you, mm-hmm. I'm empty. Mm-hmm. Reload me. I think maybe just reroute some of that voice memo energy and turn it into another blast. Ooh. Because Siri, I don't know, you're, like I said, you're an Android person. Yeah, I don't want to listen to this. You, you go ahead okay. and talk. Siri has some attitude. They just need to incorporate the Siri voice into the weapon, and then it may it, then it's a perfect fit. Hmm. Well, this was a, a few years before Siri. That is true. So, uh, uh, well, it's three thousand years after Siri. Well, I mean, these in the recording, these yeah. archives have been sent back in our time, and they were first aired before. See, this. Oh boy, this all this inter quantum dimensional stuff. This is going to get confusing. Okay. 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 I loved it when too when Harper was kicked out of the uh, virtual reality mm-hmm. interface that he'd set up with himself. He's talking to himself, his his two point self, and uh, he gets kicked out by the security bot. And then he, as he comes out, he stands up and he says, "Now I know why people hate me." <laughs> I thought that was a great line for Harper. Yes, it was. <laughs> I, mean, I did, uh, yeah, because you know I'm watching it and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, it's annoying, isn't it? <laughs> You know, I, I think it's it's fun because well, we, you and I both we talk about it. Um, we're we're both products of the '90s generation, really. I mean, we were alive during the '80s, but 
the 90s was really where we started to thrive and develop our own personalities and interests, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, we've had a lot of the talks before about all of the 80s music uh, with the creators of this show and the cast and how they really wanted to incorporate more of that. Yeah. Um, I thought it was. As a as a child of the '90s, I thought it was uh, very refreshing to to see the '90s reference. Did you did you catch the the '90s music reference? I might have. Yeah, but. Harper. He 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 took a line from uh, from the famous 1995 U2 hit "Tempt Me, Scare Me, Kiss Me, Snare Me." Was that '95? Yeah, yeah. It was from the Batman Forever soundtrack. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That may not have been exactly how it was. How it went. The, the verse went. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. That was kind of after everyone stopped liking you, too. Yeah. Uh, Charlemagne indicates that Tyr's physical conditioning, his his form and his physical conditioning, is exceptional rather than the rule. So there you have it. We we have an answer. Because mm-hmm. uh, we've speculated on this about the difference in Nietzschean physiology mm-hmm. between the specimen that is Tyr. How did, uh, did Ethley put it? Uh, perfectly chiseled... Slab, slab of, of, of obsidian. 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 Yeah. That's that's what it was. Yes. So, um, yeah. And I love how Charlemagne looks at him and is just like, yeah, I'm, I got nothing. <laughs> you know, he's like, I know I'm a I'm a cool guy. I'm I'm suave in my own right, but I yeah, nothing. I got nothing against this. <laughs> right. I just liked how. He, he, so yeah. It's acknowledged. Tyr is the exception rather than the rule as far as Nietzschean perfection goes. Right. Or at least Kodiak. Right, right. Because he, right. he kind of alludes to, you know, this is why the Kodiak fell. You put way too much emphasis on physical perfection, and you should have been paying more attention to things like treachery. Yeah. Which, put a pin in that. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that's a discussion later. Right, right. Um. <clears throat> So, yeah, maybe if we had seen some other members of the Kodiak Pride, then uh, we would have said, okay, so Tyr is just a a normal Kodiak Nietzschean. Hmm. So, basically, the Kodiak Pride generated all of the Calvin Klein models of the day. I guess so, yeah. Okay, all right. That makes sense, then. Okay, now, this is just kind of one of those, this is a... Sort of a nitpicky thing, but I just thought it was kind of strange, funny. Um, that whole sequence there where Harper, he kind of goes into his little tesseract phase. Traveling in yeah. between dimensions and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff going on. There's his whole interaction there with Satrina, and also there's the fight going on in the hallway, and also in the in the main... Um, in the main hall there, uh, but but here's what was what what seemed weird to me is you've got we well, got this situation with Harper and Satrina, and and like I said the fight in the corridor with uh, Charlemagne and the other big bad guy, and and then the, the the fight with Trance and Dylan with their goons there in the main hall. I, I refer to him as the color coded assassins. Okay, I like it. Uh, let's go with that. So he's in there fighting with... Uh, they're in there fighting with red and green. Yes. <laughs> yes, they were. But meanwhile, all this action is happening around Harper and Satrina. Yeah. So Charlemagne is in the in the hallway fighting with, with Blue. And all these things are happening. And then finally, 
when when Harper figures out what's going on and destroys the Tesseract uh, power, here's what stuck out to me, is that we had already seen Dylan and Trance put into these very, very compromising situations. They're about to get it, right? And then we see all these other things going on, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It all goes down, they all collapse. We go back to the main hall, and Dylan and Trance are in the exact same positions when their bad guys fall. When when red and green fall, it's like, how long were they stuck like that? And I know it was just a, it's just all about how the sequence of how they ordered the shots, how they edited everything right, in. Right. But it just, it, it, it kind of struck me as, as odd. Well, did you not take it as all of this action is happening at these different various points in time? And Harper is just, he's in that, bri- time is pointless to him. Mm-hmm. So all of this conversation he's having with himself and listening to Satrina and, and the, the well, yeah, all of that was just, you know, a split second. Mm-hmm. Could have been just right. a split second. Right. And I get that. And, and I even tried to explain this whole thing away with that. But the problem is that we see too much action in the corridor between Charlemagne and and blue. Well, this is a Stentz Miller episode, so okay. you're going to have the action. Yeah, but then there's also inaction <laughs> yeah. with Dylan and Trance. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you know, you, you see Dylan, or um, Trance is, is on her back, and Red's just got the knife drawn. Yeah. It's just, it's just a matter of seconds. And Dylan's in the same situation, basically, right. up against a wall. And they just stayed like that through all of the other action sequences until Harper cuts it all off, and then they're 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 right there. And then it's yeah, yeah. Well, maybe the action in the halls with uh, Charlemagne and Tyr. Mm-hmm. Maybe all of that happened ahead, but because of the editing, we just mm-hmm. we didn't see it that way. Yeah, I got nothing beyond that. Okay. Well, I would have liked to have seen it that way. It's it's a nitpick. It is. It is totally a it nitpick. It is totally and I know a it's just it's just the way it was perceived. But knowing the way you like things ordered and explained, I can see where you're coming from. Okay. Why it would be annoying to you. All right. The last thing that I had was uh, this interchange between Trance and Harper. Trance really does not want Harper to go after this data. He, he doesn't want him to, to dredge this back up. Yeah, seems that way. Did you really, though, did you get the vibe of, uh, say, Allah, uh, oh, brother, where art thou? Do not seek the treasure. Did, did, that not, did she not come across that way? <laughs> As, do not do this. Do not seek this data, mm-hmm. or you will regret it. You know? Yeah, and then Harper was like, we thought you was a toad. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I totally. Anyway, yeah, that's I totally the, was right on with all okay, of that. Okay, yeah. that's the vibe I got. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's why I wrote it down. Oh, okay, yeah, no, I did not get that. Okay, I like it. I like where you're going with that. I didn't get that. I love that movie. That's going to be our next uh, podcast, I think. Oh, brother, where? Yeah, we're just going to review it over and over again every single week. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. uh, I am not on board with this. Oh, no. So Ryan, let's let's move on from just you know things that we observed about the show, and let's talk about what we actually learned. Let's get into the meat okay. of this episode. Okay, uh, I'd like to start off if I could. Yeah, please go ahead. I I think it's great that we actually got an answer um, in this universe to 
why in Harper 2.0 some random Perseid just randomly shows up in yeah. space, bumps into the Maru, and is uh, you know almost to, to the Andromeda Ascendant. Right, because I remember that was a huge sticking point for you. It was for me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, where is this guy? Why is this guy here? You right. Know? And, uh, and it's true, I didn't remember that this was the answer to that, but I was just like, ah, whatever, it's science fiction, <laughs> who cares? It's no biggie. Yeah. Holmes we need to worry about things like action sequences being edited out of sequence. Right. So Because that is more important. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, Hone sent that Perseid, that Perseid librarian in Harper 2.0. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was, an, it was so quick and it was so subtle, mm-hmm. but I, I think it would, I really appreciate when, when a series is able to do this, mm-hmm. when they're able to show you things and, and you know what, maybe you, maybe you care about it. I did maybe mm-hmm. too much. I, maybe I cared too much about that little detail. Or maybe you don't. Mm-hmm. But the, the series revisits it, and it answers itself. It may not be right away. It may not be the next episode. But, you know, 11, 12 episodes later, we're finally figuring out why that guy was floating around out in a, you know, inflatable beach ball. Mm-hmm. And I make light of it, but I really did appreciate it, um, maybe as much as you did. And, I mean, when he said that, it, it hit me immediately. I instantly recalled that. I remembered our discussion about that. Um, of course, I also instantly remembered who Elsbeth was, but that's okay. But you know, you got to think that this at this point, um, Robert Hewitt-Wolf, he's, he's still in the mix. He's still got his hand on stuff. I think this was all in the works uh, from the beginning, from the time... Harper 2.0. I think I think Robert Hewitt Wolf and the writers that were there, they knew how that Percy had got on board, and it was just a matter of time before we got to this story before that is revealed. Yeah. Now, and and it, I think it's great because we live now in a time where you really can't have a television series that just does standalone episodes anymore. It mm-hmm. all has to be connected, either to later shows or to another series or you know you know Mm -hmm. there has to be some continuity there and we've gotten so used to it in our tv watching now Mm -hmm. 2015 when we're recording this but you know 10 years ago this was kind of something that was new and really wasn't going to be kind of fleshed out until you started seeing series like uh, lost and other shows <laughs> now I'm in a bad mood again. <laughs> and say what you will about that show. It was great to see something that was told to you in one season, and you might have to wait two, three seasons mm-hmm. further. Let's not talk about four or five, but you know, it, you had to wait a little while, but you did get the answer. I'm still waiting for season seven because there are still <laughs> questions that have not been answered. Well, that that conversation aside, why did you have to pick Lost? Of well, all the serialized shows, you could have. Well, there picked. you go. But that, I mean, that was kind of the benchmark. That was the landmark <laughs> series, I think, mm-hmm. in, in my TV watching. Right. It was everything after that. It all had to be connected. You mm-hmm. even see that in the the Marvel movies mm-hmm. and whatnot that are coming out today. Right. No, I joke. But when you, when you were setting that whole thing up, I was thinking Lost yeah. too. So, well, you can't help but think right. Lost. But any in any case, we got a great answer here to something that I really wanted an answer to. And, and like I was saying, that might it might have been a minor detail for some, but for me, it, it kind of stuck out. And, and yeah, well, I mean, it. if if you're a casual viewer, if you even remember Harper 2.0, which 
I remember the first time I saw Harper 2.0 as a as a casual viewer. Yeah. So, <clears throat> no doubt, almost a year later, I think there are many people, if they're keeping up with this series, that would have remembered Harper 2.0. Yeah. And if you didn't remember Harper 2.0, it's okay, because Trance recapped the whole thing. She sure did. Better than we did in our recap of it, probably. Probably yeah. so. Um, okay, so Hone is a secret agent. Of uh, a sort, uh-huh. yeah. He's a, a secret librarian agent. Um, yeah, he works for the All Systems University. University yeah, a- and ASU. Right. Like, they got a great graduate program there. Yeah, their, their football program's not that great. But. No, no, it's not. But, uh, you know, football isn't everything. It helps pay the bills. Yeah. But you really want something with a good, solid data archive. I want to be entertained. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, and this is a direct quote from Hone, he said he's working throughout the the known world to preserve knowledge, all in preparation for the Commonwealth's restoration. Okay, I have a question about that. Okay. All right, so uh, Sarah... Mm-hmm. is waiting for the reestablishment of the Commonwealth because of her dealings through the black hole with Dylan. Mm-hmm. So she knows what's coming. She mm-hmm. knows he's there 300 years and later. She knows what he's going to try and do. What about the Perseid, though? Hone. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, what was it, All System? The All System. All Systems University. Uh, are they aware? Uh, how do they know that the Commonwealth is going to be reestablished? Really? Well, I mean, maybe word got out from Sarah and her friends. Maybe they uh, did a little bit of, uh, tried to do a little bit of gathering work themselves before they all went off to uh, wherever that planet was. The backwater. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Triangulum Galaxy. I remember that much. Mm -hmm. Right. Something about the butthole of the universe or something. (laughs) Yeah, that was the description. (laughs) Pardon my veteran. So, yeah. But, you know, maybe people caught word. Uh, or they they caught wind of this. They they heard about what might happen, and so some people were just preparing for it. We had the yeah, but there's a difference between being indoctrinated or being a part of a movement, yeah, and and then hearing something through the grapevine and then taking up the mantle yourself. I mean, this well, it's I'm not, not, I'm all not saying right. I, yeah. I'm not saying this is an impossibility, and that I'm I'm picking at it. I'm mm-hmm. just saying this is quite a monumental dare I say, leap of faith. Yeah. That they have dedicated themselves to this preservation of... of And and I would venture to say you would probably have different groups trying to do this anyway in the in the vacuum of power that, you know, that, that resulted from the, the Commonwealth's fall. You would have had people trying to pervert, preserve uh, such information. But for him to directly state... For the purpose of when the Commonwealth is reestablished. That's a pretty big leap of faith. That's kind of the part where it goes a little sideways. Yeah. Not, at least in my thinking, because cause you're right. It, it, it's, not, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. In fact, I think just the opposite. It would be very likely that if, let's say right now, in our real world universe, civilization falls... There are going to be people, groups of people, that are going to try to preserve knowledge. Yes. Um, Absolutely. I mean, uh, and that's not just hypothetical. I mean, it happens. You know, when the empires fall, when the Greek, the Roman, Babylonian empires, when they fall... Well, what is it? The the Library of Alexandria. Mm-hmm. 
the modern day library in Alexandria, Egypt. They have a system of of servers that will every day at midnight local time, whatever it is, they do a backup of the internet. As much mm-hmm. as much as as much space as they have, they back up as much of what is on the internet as they can. Now that's a heck of a lot of cat videos, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of legitimate information there that if if the internet did suddenly somehow miraculously collapse there would at least be some knowledge some record of it preserved Mm -hmm. which i think is interesting so yeah you're absolutely right there are groups trying to do such things today in the event of a major disaster well and in the event of a major disaster if all civilization falls now then uh 300 years into the future when they're digging up all of this digital archaeological evidence and they can see you know these people they worshiped cats <laughs> that will be the legacy mm-hmm. of 21st century man mm. yeah what were we talking about oh yes the asu <laughs> oh yeah so anyway yeah so that's a thing uh i don't know if this is if this is the right parallel but i'm kind of thinking something along we're star trek guys I'm um, thinking something kind of along the lines of Memory Alpha. Memory Alpha, exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good that's a good analog. Right. Um, side note, our, many of our listeners may it's know digital, about this. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some of our, our listeners may know about this, because if you want to find any information on Star Trek, where's the best place on the web to go? Memory Alpha. Memory Alpha. Absolutely. If you want to find out anything about Andromeda, where's the best place to go? Andromeda Wiki. Yeah. Do you know where it used to be? No. It was called the uh, All Systems University. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. And for, uh, I don't know why, but for some reason that site was shut down and all we have now is the wiki. All right. So let's talk about Tesseracts. All right, let's. Yeah, I got some questions. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I tried to do a little bit of research because the way they talked about tesseract technology, there is no tesseract technology, right? I know, but I, I I thought, well, surely if they're talking about it in this sci-fi show, there's been some sort of speculation, or you know, there's something theoretical out there to to you know to draw on mm-hmm. for you know the topic of of conversation. And you're right, there's nothing that's relevant to what they're talking about in the TV show. A tesseract is a matter-dimensional transportation device in the show that we're talking about, right? Okay. Tesseracts in reality, I'm using air quotes here, is a four-dimensional geometric shape. And what did we learn about geometry just a couple episodes ago? Uh, Geometry is hard. Yes. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to talk about tesseracts. (laughs) Okay. Because they will bend your brain. Okay. Okay. It is relevant to the discussion of what they show in in the episode because it's you know that sequence where well the sequences where Satrina is you know basically disappearing through walls and, mm-hmm. and matter she's traveling between dimensions I guess is the way they explain it mm-hmm. and then we get to see a bit of that with Harper basically flying through the halls wandering the halls whatever he's doing in that moment of time mm-hmm. between dimensions. If you think about the geometrical shape, it, it turns and it bends on itself and has multiple sides and, and appears you can pass through it. and it, Just the way it looks on paper or on a computer screen, the way I saw it, there's a, there's a parallel there. It's still, it's geometry and my brain mm-hmm. hurts just, you know, trying to think about it right now. So, um, yeah, 
The technology doesn't exist. Okay. Well, they did say in the episode, it's like a... Uh, Rami, I think, was the one that said, it's like a, a three-dimensional object or person operating in a two-dimensional world. Yes. So, I guess that's yeah. to help us to understand. We don't... Right. We don't well, understand four dimensions. Right. And, and mm-hmm. that's the point. In, in This geometric shape is, I guess, is a four-dimensional shape. And when you look at it, it just it defies logic. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, that's what they're showing here in this episode. And I think it's too, I alluded to the Marvel Universe before. It's interesting that we had a Tesseract in the Marvel Universe, too, which mm-hmm. did much the same thing. Travel between realms or dimensions, right. you know. So, it's an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. I, I like it as a as a method of driving a, a sci-fi story. See, I'm glad that you said that because it was driving me crazy. I was like, I, I know there has much more recently been a Tesseract in something that I've seen. Yeah. And I'm like, nobody else knows what a Tesseract is unless they're physicists or unless they watched Andromeda. Because I don't ever remember seeing or hearing the word Tesseract before watching Andromeda. Right. right. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there's other sci-fi out there with Tesseract. I, I will say that its portrayal in Andromeda is less dramatic and interesting looking than, you know, the, mm-hmm. the glowing blue cube oh. in, uh, you know, the mm-hmm. Marvel movies. Okay, so I got to I got to I got to stop this a minute cuz uh, we were Ethan and I we were just having a uh, sort of off the cuff um discussion. It was not intended to be part of the show. We were just kind of talking and it was all going to be edited out, but we stumbled we, just in our conversation we we figured out the connection here with the Tesseract between Andromeda universe and the Marvel universe. We sure did. Ethan Laid on us. What did what did we figure out? Well, uh, and I'd fact check this. Uh, it was Ashley Miller and Zach Stentz that wrote Thor, mm-hmm. the the first Thor movie, mm-hmm. in which the Tesseract first appears, mm-hmm. and you know it continues as a thread throughout Captain America, mm-hmm. and then finishes out uh, Phase One with the yeah. Avengers, with the various uh, different types of of orbs and special power, the Infinity Stones. Yeah. yeah so, you know. but anyway, yeah. So that was that's awesome that we have this connection between these writers for this episode, mm-hmm. in which the term Tesseract shows up. And, and and I thought, wow, isn't that interesting that that would show up a few <laughs> years later in Marvel? But it appears there's a very legitimate reason right. for that. Yeah. <laughs> Really and cool. honestly, kind of shame on us for not putting for that not together. catching that one. Yeah. yeah, oops. Well, you know, we could retcon this into fun facts. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but we're a little bit past that now. No, that's okay. I'll I'll, I'll go back and I'll edit it in sure. to the fun facts. Sure. Unless mean, I forget. Yeah. If you're hearing this now, I forgot. Um. See, I got a pin in this here. Nietzscheans and treachery. Yes. This is a. This is an admirable quality. <laughs> it's uh, apparently a trait. Okay. I don't know if you want to call it an admirable quality, but I, I would call it a trait. Well, yeah, it's definitely a trait, and I can see that. But this particular pride, the Sabra Jaguar pride, Charlemagne really prides themselves on their treachery. Well, every, every family's got to have something. I guess so. So Kodiak has incredibly good looks, mm-hmm. or as Zoolander would put it, really, really, really ridiculously good looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, You're waiting for the second one, aren't you? <laughs> not really. <laughs> not really. Uh, I'll put it this way. I'm not going to the theater. Okay. Um, but yeah, so 
was he Sabra or was he Jaguar? Elsbit was Sabra, right? And he's Jaguar Pride. Mm, honestly, I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. In any case, one or the other. Um, apparently, yes. Mm-hmm. Treachery is the thing. That's the thing they're known for. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I keep trying to do air quotes, but I... No one can see you. I know. Nobody can see me. Right. So anyway. Yeah, but that's that's what they're known for. Okay. You know, if you want to hang on to that, that's, that's great. Put it on your family crest <laughs> and, uh, you know, tattoo it on your uh, spike gauntlet. Mm-hmm. And let's... Uh, Let's just accept it for for what they are, right? Well, it just it just seems kind of weird. It's like uh, a lot of times you'll have a family that's uh, they're just very rude. Do they go around just bragging about I'm very rude? Uh, sometimes Sorry. I was gonna say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's not totally unheard. No, of. I realized as I was asking the question, I was like, you know what? I know people I, that are. I know. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It happens. Yeah. So I guess that answers my own question. There you go. <clears throat> so Nietzscheans are treacherous, and they're proud of it, and proud of it. Uh, Charlemagne certainly was. Mm-hmm. I think this is a good segue to actually talk about Charlemagne Baltimore okay. himself. Uh, great character by James Marsters. I thought he did a fantastic job with it. He has that... <clears throat> the whole time I'm watching him, I'm thinking, car salesman. <laughs> you know, that's... Mm-hmm. He has just... He's skeevy. He's just completely skeevy. When he makes the the comment about checking the legitimacy of the child that Elsbeth's having, mm-hmm. the whole time I'm thinking, yeah, he's not upset that Dylan was intimate with his now wife because i, I could see him you know, a dozen women in a dozen systems at, mm-hmm. you know after he was married mm-hmm. i i can almost imagine him being that type of person that yeah he would just carry on with the liaisons like that and and not think anything of it that's just who he is uh he does a great job as an actor james marshall does with this character uh i can't stand him <laughs> he's he's like I said skeevy mm-hmm. and I felt like taking a shower each time after I finished <laughs> watching this episode you know but uh you know it's yeah he he's just not a pleasant individual and yet you can see why he's in that position of power that he wields mhm I think it was an interesting character uh, I have one last question about the tesseract and I'm not a physicist I don't play one on TV I I don't understand how Satrina is able to reach into Harper's guts. Just his her hand just goes right through the wall of his guts, right? Like it's not a solid object. Grab onto one of these Magog larvae or five of them and pull them right out. Okay, so she's she's shifting through dimensions, right? Not Harper. She's the one shifting. So can she control which parts of her body are shifting? Or is just her whole body just shift? I was going to say, that's the only possible way that this works. Is that you could, at some point, make your fingers uh, bring them back into the physical universe so that you could grasp something. Okay. And then, yeah, and then how do you make that thing that you're grasping go you know, phase shift again. Right. Because she kind of contradicts herself. If that's what she does, she grabs onto that Magog larvae and it shifts into what other, whatever other dimension she's in so that it can pass through Harper's body wall. Right. Yeah. 
And now it's back. It's right there in her hand, motionless and making a lot of noise. But how is she able to do that? Because because later she says, because he, he says, I'm going to take you with me. And she's like, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. I don't know, because <laughs> I just saw you do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a bit tricky there, mm-hmm. I will admit. There's some unanswered questions to that. Okay. And then the the moment when Harper... But you know what? I'm okay with it. Okay. Because this is supposed to be a technology beyond anyone's comprehension. Even Rami is like... His hand is going just right through the railing, right? Yes, yes. Why are his feet not going through the catwalk? Yeah. I, I had the same thought. Okay. It, it's, 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 he makes a lunge move. Mm-hmm. Why didn't he just tumble into space? Right, <laughs> right. Just right go right there. through the hall... And yeah. then his head explodes. Yeah, I, I'm because s- that doesn't really happen in space. <laughs> You're right. I've looked this up. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, this is a great, you know, the, this whole thing with the tesseracts. It doesn't exist. It isn't even theorized in physics today. It's great though for sci-fi. There's a lot of unanswer- unanswered questions, and it's a obscure enough technology it's it's futuristic enough to where i don't have to have the answers for it Mm -hmm. it tells the story okay so i'm happy with it well i guess based on rami's description of it basically it's uh the whole universe just folds in on itself yes um i i don't understand but okay we'll just go with with whatever happens i guess that's what happens when the universe folds in on itself right okay good enough uh, as far as our, our characters in this episode. Our main characters. Yes. Yeah. Our main characters in this episode. Uh, anything that we, we get from them. There was one one particular thing, a couple things, but one particular thing. The conversation between Trance and Harper when she comes to him and she wants to know the first time you put that archive in your brain, what did you learn about me? Yeah. And what do you remember yeah, about I, me? I wrote stuff down on that. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. No, because I thought that was, that was intriguing, mm-hmm. that, whole, that whole series, that conversation that they have. Uh, Harper indicates that what he found out may reveal her to be a deity of sorts, mm-hmm. at least from the perspective of the people that he saw worshipping her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is interesting. Or someone like her. Or someone like her, yeah, mm-hmm. something similar in, in form. Uh, the plot thickens. Mm-hmm. What is she, right. and 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 what power does she wield? At least on certain worlds in which they're revered as as perhaps deities, right? And this harkens back to the the episode that we got uh, a few episodes ago, where someone else like Trance comes to that to the planet mm-hmm. and basically just caused chaos, started yeah, a civil war, exactly. So obviously these are beings with a lot of power, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, apparently some of them are. Uh, well, they're certainly not exercising the uh, the prime directive when wielding that power over lesser societies. Pitiless as the sun. Yeah, pitiless as the mm-hmm. sun. That's it. it. What's weird about it is that if she does have this history, she has all this. If she has these, if she has powers or or just whatever it is she has, she definitely does not want. Harper or anyone else on the ship to know anything about it. Yeah. I mean, he just starts the first couple lines of this this hymn mm-hmm. that the natives would sing about this creature that and looked so a lot like her. And so is that the like thing her. that he sang to her in Harper 
Yeah. That's what it was, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Which I think was, and there's another answer mm-hmm. that we got. Right. And and she just cuts him off immediately. Yeah. Stop it. Do not. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Don't. And and then he comes back with the line, you know, I liked it a lot better when I thought you were harmless. Yes. And then she says, yeah, me too. Me too. Great moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not a show that is probably known for its, its dramatic moments. Mm-hmm. But, bum, bum, bum. Yeah, but this is this was a great dramatic moment just just between these two characters, just the exchange that they have there. They both realize mm-hmm. that their lives that they have lived up to this point and that we've gotten to see a lot of on camera, it's fundamentally different now, and, and they're they're now faced they're, they're now having to to face that reality, mm-hmm. and I think it's really cool. Yeah, and that's a difference. We as an audience have gotten some of that. And, of course, everyone on the ship knows that there's something kind of up with her. They don't know exactly who she is, where she's from, what she's really up to. But they all love her. They all trust her. And that hasn't changed. Right. Really. But this is really the first time that we see someone on the ship and her have some sort of meaningful conversation about what or whom she really is. Yes. Dylan has alluded to the fact that he he understands that she is more than what she lets on to be. Mm-hmm. But you're right. This is the first moment where I think, like you said, we we have her and a crew member formally recognizing. Yeah, and and the, I think the difference between this conversation and any of the conversations that we've seen or have with Dylan is Dylan's just always just right there by her side. He loves her. He supports her. Yeah, and is just glad that he that she's on his side and and everything. Whereas Harper is really making a much different observation that he's he's realizing not only is she different than you know whatever she claims that she she is but she's actually something she could potentially be very very dangerous. Yeah, well, he's he's expressing a little bit of fear. Yeah. 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 And, and we've like, never seen that right from from Dylan. Right. Or Becca. Right. Yeah, no, that was a great exchange between those two, and I and and that's something I think we're, we're from my recollection in the le- next few episodes we're going to see more of that that type of role between those two has now changed, and it's not going to go back to what it was in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I wanted to talk about Harper a little bit more. Okay, uh, turned on by the idea of ultimate power. Yeah, and then just shuts it off. Right. <laughs> um. I, I guess this is more of what we've already talked about with with Harper. It's something that we... It's a pattern. It is a pattern, it? isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what I liked, though, at the end of this, this episode is that he finally has become self-motivated. He's mm-hmm. finally tired of waiting around for death. He's finally tired of waiting for someone to come up with a solution. Mm-hmm. Now he wants to fix it. Mm-hmm. And, and of... of Everything that we've learned about Harper is when he puts his mind to something, he can accomplish it. And so now he's he's motivated to do it. He, he's done with the the pity party mm-hmm. and and the self pity. So I thought that was great. I, we actually get to see real character growth in Harper. I think yeah. at the end of this episode. Yeah. Now the question is whether it sticks and carries over to the next episode. Yes. 
because that's what we want to see. That is true. Mm-hmm. That is what we want to see. We have seen him have a little bit of character growth throughout an episode. And, and, and even some, you know, some perceived character growth that may or may not have actually taken place mm-hmm. didn't take place. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then when he says he, that he's a super genius, I, I'm, I'm at this point willing to believe it. Mm-hmm. Because he encodes the data. We get another answer. To, to, you know, that weird look at that star at the end of Harper 2.0. We understand what that means now. Okay. He encoded the data of the, the from the librarian into a sun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How does this work? I mean, on the one hand, it's a, a star generates enormous amounts of radiation and they all all that radiation has a signature so maybe you manipulate the data to you know i don't know i don't know how to describe it and make it i don't want to sound like i'm talking uh, star trek technical babble but i guess you 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 encode it to be on a carrier wave of some radiation signature or signal from the star or something like that that somehow stores it in the magnetic field or i i don't know i'm lost mm-hmm. how, how do you do this i, I don't know but don't he's figured it out so he is a super genius mm-hmm. so yeah that's harper mm-hmm. uh he's he's a little bit better i think now he, he he definitely had much more of a it seemed like he was he had much more of an impetus on it at, at the end it, it, anytime we've seen him grow in other episodes it's always just been like yeah i guess you guys are right i'll do it the right way yeah but I mean, this one, this time he really steps up. I'm done. No more of this. Yeah, it's time. It's time for a change, and it starts now. I'm sick of looking at these things on the sonogram. Yeah, <laughs> let's get this. Right. Up. Let's get these out of here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just one last thing about what we learn about the universe okay. and how it impacts our characters. Okay. Uh, enemies everywhere now, and now one of them's in the back pocket or in the hip pocket of of Dylan Hunt. Mm. Yeah. So. They've signed this treaty, mm-hmm. so good for them. There, there's another feather in the new system's Commonwealth cap, but it's Jaguar, which, as we've already discussed, are renowned for their double-crossing nature. Mm-hmm. So, under Bolivar, aligned with the Commonwealth, this this feels like it'll be a good thing, but at what point do you... What, you're just constantly waiting for the dagger to be stabbed into your back. At this point now. And I think Dylan wrestles with that. He understands what's happening. He draws the parallel between the allies, I think, in World War II, you know, being allied with Russia. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, you know, was a lot of things that even at that time, the allies could look at and say, well, this may not be the best thing, but we're in trouble now. Mm-hmm. So we will ally with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that's how, how a lot of alliances have formed and, and dissolved in the past. And so we're seeing more of the same here. Mm-hmm. And Dylan is wrestling with this. So, uh, interesting. I, I can't wait to see how this pans out as we uh, go forward in the series. Okay, so, uh, as always, we have another quote for this week. The quote at the beginning of the episode says, To a god, a wall is but a fine line on the page. We are all naked, seen beyond seeing. That was from the Wayfinder Hasturi, also known as the Mad Perseus. That's right. Yeah. Dated two seventeen after the fall of the Commonwealth. 
Well, I mean, the thing that jumps out to me mm-hmm. is the the you know gods mm-hmm. moving through walls, and this is the spirit of the abyss's uh, forte. Mm-hmm. You know, he's given the uh, color coded uh, the psychedelic assassins guild and Satrina uh, this technology that allows them to be like gods and, and essentially appear anywhere they want. Uh, beyond that, I don't I don't really see anything. It's just to me that saying just kind of tips the hat is to you're going to see something weird, right? <laughs> yeah, and I, I I think Rami touches on this a bit too when she talks about a three dimensional object acting in a two dimensional world. You know, to to a god, a wall is but a line on the page. I have in front of me a notebook, college ruled notebook, and you see there's all these lines. I can take my pen and just go right through them. Yeah. So. Yeah. There are no barriers. Right. Yeah. It. It. Those. The lines don't matter. They're. They're just supposed to kind of try to, to and, keep your your writing in some sort of a structure. Yeah. But. Yeah. It, and really, that is the crux of this episode, isn't it? Now that now mm-hmm. that we're talking about it, yeah, it, it strikes me as there are no boundaries for the spirit of the abyss. Mm-hmm. Whatever he's wanting to accomplish. Uh, there's there's precious little that can stop him, mm-hmm. and uh, you know hopefully Dylan and his crew are able to do so, but uh, they still got a lot of catching up to do before they are kind of on on a par with the spirit of the abyss and his cronies to be mm-hmm. able to uh, to thwart them. Right. Yes, we are all naked, seen beyond seeing. Uh, I'm not really sure if that has too much to do with this episode, other than just the fact that uh, the Harper didn't have pants. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Also, I'm thinking, you know, with the with the abyss, uh sort of being like an all-seeing eye. Yeah. You know, everything's exposed. Nothing really happens without him noticing. Right. Uh he he seems to be sort of this he's able to control this this tesseract technology. Um I I kind of got to think that that's got to be they're tapping into his power right. as an entity right. somehow to do that, you know, cause they don't, they don't, they're not aware of any sort of technology or power that can do any. I'm pretty like sure this. he doesn't have a data port. Right. So that thing that they're inserting and taking out that, that's has no bearing on him. Mm-hmm. And yet we saw in Harper 2.0, he was able to take, uh, what's his name? Jaeger. Jaeger. Oh, and, right. You know, deconstruct him and shift him off to, wherever right and <laughs> with, with, and with we, no yeah. technology in hand or of of any sort and yeah that's what i was going to say because even in this episode even after the tesseracts are disabled yes they're the four of them are dead yeah only satrina is still there and she she's had hers removed and deactivated yep they still disappear into thin air yeah so so the line that harper drew mm-hmm. preventing them right from transiting Mm-hmm. Uh, even the spirit of abyss was able to take that away. Right. Uh, of all the sayings, maybe this one does have the most bearing on what we see, the concepts that are introduced in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It kind of makes you wonder a little bit why the abyss needs to use uh, physical beings to carry out any of the, the these these jobs that he wants done. Yeah, see, so, so far we've got Jaeger. Mm-hmm. We've got Satrina, we've got the the color coded assassins, mm-hmm. and the Magog right. themselves. You know, yeah. So yeah, obviously he's. He, I don't know. Does it? 
it's probably too early to be having this discussion, but does the spirit of the abyss seem like it's it wants to be in a position of power that it craves or it needs to subjugate other species? Well, I mean that it's kind of hard to say whether it's whether it's wanting to rule or whether it's wanting to just destroy. Um, I, I get what you're saying, and I don't get it at the same time yeah. because I've not finished the series. But yeah, yeah, that's uh, that, that's what is his motivation basically? Right. right. Is it literally to tear apart the universe? And if so, why are you using the things that you're going to destroy? Hmm. You know, that that's kind of the question that pops up in my mind right. at this point. And then anybody who does join up with him would be just like Dylan and the uh, the Sabra Jaguar. Or like Churchill and Stalin. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess maybe it's just going to work for now. But But then when it comes time, well... Then it's every man for himself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, it, for all the answers that we got in this episode, the end of it really does kind of leave us with with just that, a bunch more questions that we're just going to have to wait however long before we may or may not get answers to again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Ryan. Yes. We've come to the end of our discussion, haven't we? Yes, we have. I guess there was one last thing to discuss. Okay. What did you think of Into the Labyrinth? Not the David Bowie movie. Oh, right. This episode. Right. Because I, I did love that one. I, I got to admit, I got a soft spot for Labyrinth. Um, well, Into the Labyrinth. Uh, I think this, I liked it. This was, a, this was a good episode. It was enjoyable. I thought, um, I noticed that when I, was, when I was going through it and taking my notes, um, I was about halfway through it and realized that I had about one or two things written down. And I was kind of starting to panic. I was like, oh no, was there, is there not anything to talk about? But then, as about the last half or the last third of this episode started to wrap up, I, then I started filling up my notebook page with all these different things that I wanted to talk about. And, you know, a lot of them, they all tied in. It, it was a very long setup, is kind of what it kind of felt like. It's kind of a slow burn. Getting into but it, yeah. the thing was, I didn't notice that. Yeah. I'm not sitting there watching thinking, when is this going to get to something? Um, like I said, I got about halfway through it and realized I hadn't written anything down. Well, that was because I was so engrossed in it. And I mean, it, it, it kept me. It held me. Even though there's not really a whole lot going on, it's all set up still. But but I'm interested. I'm wanting to know, during that whole setup, they're, they're piquing your interest. At least they were for me. They're kind of introducing questions and making you think, I hope I get an answer to that. Yeah. Uh, besides answering other questions throughout that that we've already had from previous episodes, so you know one of the things that I go back to a lot of times is um, how does this episode relate to the overall arc that we've seen, and this episode has so much to do with so much that we've already seen, and it presents itself that it's going to have a lot to do with things that we will see. And so, when you have a series like this that is serialized, that has such a long story arc, you really look at episodes like this. This feels like one of those ones that you got to see this one. If you don't see this one, then there's going to be things that you're missing out on. There's going to be things that are going to come up, and you're like, I 
don't know where that came from. Well, it was from this episode. Yeah. And, you know, and then at the same time, things from previous episodes that we have wondered. And now we have answers to them. And so I like that. And so sometimes you can do that in a bad way. It's happened before. We've seen episodes that were important to the overall story arc, but they just weren't particularly strong episodes. This, I think, really won on both sides of that. I think it was great for the story arc. And questions asked, questions answered. It keeps your interest in the series. And it was a strong episode on its own. Yeah. Uh, I don't mean on its own as in you don't need the rest of the series to enjoy this. In fact, I think it really depends on the rest of the series. or Otherwise, you wouldn't have a clue what's going on. But as far as just the, just the quality of, of the writing, the directing, the acting, uh, everything that went on in this episode... Um, very, I, I liked it. It was very good, yeah. very well put together and very well done. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I agree wholeheartedly. This was a fantastic episode. Um, re- really look forward to seeing it again on my rewatch. Wait, I didn't remember seeing this episode <laughs> as we talked a couple of weeks ago when uh-huh. we came up to it. I didn't remember seeing this episode. And I think the only reason is because I, probably skipped the file and didn't realize it mm-hmm. when I was watching uh, initially. But man, I missed a ton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and coming back and watching it for this this show, this is the first time I remember seeing it. And so it, it, this episode to me speaks volumes and, and speaks about everything good that can come from a series that is serialized. Mm-hmm. And I know we're going to have this conversation further down the line about serialized storytelling versus standalone episodes, mm-hmm. more episodic storytelling, which is what the series eventually is going to get into. And man, it, I look at at this episode and and the answers that we got, and then the the questions now that we're going to carry forward and wait for answers in future episodes. And I, I really feel bad that. There were people that were saying, we need to make this more accessible to the general public. No. Mm-hmm. You, you've got you've got your fan base. You, you've got them hooked. Mm-hmm. The people that are interested, tell that story. A- and this episode tells the story. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a great one. And you're absolutely right. You have to see it. You have to see it in context, but you have to see it. Right. And, uh, yeah, I really liked it, too. Okay, well, what about the listeners? What do they think? Oh, we'd like to hear from you. Because uh, I don't know what they think. <laughs> I, I don't either. Yeah. So we do need to hear from you. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Ethan, if someone wanted to write in and let us know what they think about this episode of Andromeda, this episode of Drive Back the Night, or any episode, past, present, or future, of either of these uh, shows, how could they get a hold of us? Well, they could send us an email. And we'd appreciate hearing from you. Uh, you can email us at drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on social media, Facebook and Twitter, using the handle AndromedaPod in both of those places. Our home is on Podbean, www.andromedaseries.podbean.com. We're also on iTunes. And if you listen to us there, please subscribe and give us some stars, maybe even a review. We'd certainly appreciate that. We are an Age of Geek production www.ageofgeek.com and we invite you to join us back here again next week as we discuss the episode of Andromeda The Prince Prince